0: Hi, my name is Tessa. Our scripture for today is Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is
1: Thank you, Tessa. That's my daughter. Very proud of her. I I just want to give a quick plug for one of the announcements you heard about the need for volunteers on Sunday. And just, I just want to make a logistical observation. I some, sometimes that those kinds of things motivate us. Um, so we have about 140 chairs in here, which really means we max out a service at about 110. So at two services we're talking about maybe maxing out about 220 people at most churches. That's one service, 220 people. But because of the size of the sanctuary, we need to support two services with the size of one service attenders. So we actually need extra support to make two services happening than what you would expect. So um, I just want to let you guys know that. So as you think about if Sundays are a blessing to you and you are benefiting from it and you're like, how can I serve? How can I help? That's one of the easiest and yet most helpful ways to jump in. On a Sunday, um, with you know, greeting or coffee cart or scripture reading, we'd love to involve you in what God's doing here and help you be a part of the team. Which, by the way, my favorite thing to my uh, favorite way to serve when I'm not preaching is to be a welcome welcomer. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'm like Mr. Social Butterfly, which I'm not really a social butterfly, but when I when I get that welcome badge on, I love it. Um, <laughs> And uh, the one that I'm scared of the most is hosting, actually, what Jim Wu is doing. So pray for your host. It's a big job. Um, uh, you guys are like, what about preaching? I'm like, no, hosting. is There's something about that one. Uh, but, you know, um, speaking of my daughter and my children, I, uh, this week was fun because, and, and hard and interesting, my wife was gone all week and so it was me and my three kids but fortunately they're they're a little older so 12, 10 and 8 more self-sufficient they made their own lunch sometimes they were able to even get their own dinners they, and uh, i helped out with so i made some dinners and they were good and made some of the breakfast it was a, it was a team effort uh, but one of the things I like to do, we, we kind of we exchanged some things like I, they had me learn how to play Roblox. So I played one of their favorite computer games. Daddy got on with them and that was a lot of fun. But for my part, I wanted them to listen to some of my favorite songs uh, from when I was growing up and have always been. So anytime I would cart them around, I'd put on Spotify, I was like, all right, you guys got to listen to this song. So of course they roll their eyes and one of those songs was by uh the righteous brothers you've lost that loving feeling and it was popularized by top gun which is kind of annoying uh, but this is i've always really liked this song uh, and i'm not sure why you know it, it, this is not a passive aggressive message to my wife she has not lost that loving feeling and uh she's a lot of love and tenderness from her but but in this song, you hear a man either singing about their grief over the fact that uh, the woman that he loves has no, is no longer showing affection to him, no longer showing the tenderness that she once did. And in fact, what he says is, now you're starting to criticize little things I do, and it makes me feel like crying because, baby, something beautiful's dying, right? And so he's saying, he's, he, later he says, I'm on my knees begging you, please, bring it on back. Bring back that loving feeling. He's desperate, right? And I think what I resonate, I appreciate about this song is he's making the, they're making the point that um, for love to be real, it has to be expressed, right? It's, this is, you can't say, I love you and then be cold to somebody. It has to be shown. And so he's saying, because you don't show it, our love is dying, right? Um, And so in fact, there's in Proverbs, it says that um, better is open rebuke than hidden love, which is to say hidden love is not real love. That is not love. And so I think that's what I think is going on in the story that we just read. There are two people and one of them, uh, the woman has great, uh, affection and love and it is expressed in one of the most dramatic, powerful ways in all the gospels. And so we want to soak in that today. I want to soak in her expression of her feelings. And on the other side is those who are cold. They, they do not have tenderness and love for Jesus. But I think there's a third person, and that is someone who maybe once had a love and affection for Jesus, but has lost it. They've maybe lost that loving feeling, and maybe that's us here today. And so maybe we're feeling a little cold towards God. Maybe we used to be warm and glowing and we've grown cold. And so how can, we be, um, how can we have this extravagant love and affection for God? How can we have it maybe for the first time? How can we cultivate it? How can we get it back if we've lost it? So let's jump into this story. It's a beautiful story. Um, and what we're going to see is, uh, you know, Jesus gets invited to dinner. So in the Gospel of Luke, this happens several times uh, where the Pharisees invite him to dinner. And each time we're going to see the Pharisees are actually, it's um, they're trying to trap him. And so it's almost, I'm not sure it's a pretense. Um, but here in this one, we're going to see that Jesus know, calls this man by name. So maybe there's some cordiality there. Um, and uh but we're not we're not sure they're they're, they're, they invite him to dinner but they seem like their intentions are not exactly to be good friends and so they're reclining at the table which means in that uh uh, culture in that time they were they would lay down with kind of their hand on their heads kind of like this on pillows and a short a, a short table and their feet would be away from the table so just try to picture that scene Um, And then in comes this woman, right, out of nowhere. And apparently, this was not uncommon, wasn't against cultural norms like it maybe would be here, to just crash a party. We're going to see, in fact, in another dinner, this happens with a a man who wants healing, just going to show up in the middle of a a dinner. Um, But um, this woman would not have been welcomed in this way. She is a woman of the city, which is universally understood to be a prostitute. So it, here she is. There is this religious conservative setting, this, this, this dinner of religious leaders. She is a prostitute, and she uh, shows up completely unwelcomed, right? And so um, already this woman is out of my league, all right, I, I would have a hard time showing up if one of you said to me, hey, feel free to drop, drop by any time. Even that kind of open invitation I wouldn't necessarily take, right? You have to say, Paul, come over at 6 o'clock tomorrow. Okay, then I might show up. She comes unwelcomed, uninvited, and clearly um, this is what a huge breaking of barriers that she does. And then what she proceeds to do to Jesus in my opinion, is fairly mind-boggling. Hard to even relate to it in its extravagance. What we see is that she wants to anoint Jesus with perfume that's in the alabaster jar. And what's understood is that this is very expensive. In fact, there's another scene, and I, I think the best way to understand this is there's this happens twice to Jesus. Luke only records it once, but we see later in his ministry um, he's going to be anointed in a similar way with a, with a jar of perfume from an alabaster jar. And the disciples are offended by how expensive um, this gift was for her, for, for her to waste it. Um, and so some scholars argue that this was a year's uh, wages to, to, to give up this perfume. And because it's in the jar, the way that works is um, you have to break the jar to get at its contents. They didn't have screw on lids like we did now. It was sealed. And then once you broke it, you had to use all of it. So uh, this gift is somewhere, I mean, a years wages in today's dollars. I mean, this is like a 60 to $80,000 gift that she um, lays, that she gives over to Jesus right so not only is she party crashing she's giving this immensely expensive gift especially as a prostitute she's definitely on the bottom rung of the economic ladder so she gives it to jesus and then what we see her do from there and i'm trying to i'm trying to put the pieces together i don't know if she was intending to anoint his head that would have been customary and then seeing jesus decides to go for his feet Um, but she's in his presence, she goes for his feet and she just erupts involuntarily into tears. She just, being in his presence, she just is overcome with emotion and just lets it all out. All right? And she's not just tearing up, okay? That's like what I do when I watch a movie. I just like maybe gets right to here, you know what I mean? She is, she is ugly crying, right? course, it's beautiful, but you know what I mean? Like it is pouring because it, she wets his feet with it, right? And I think that's deliberate. She starts bawling and she says to her, said, you know what? I'm going to aim it at his feet. So it's a literal faucet. She's ugly crying. And now imagine you have these Pharisees, arms crossed like this, watching her. A man's world and in comes this woman and she just does not care. She lets it all out and she lets the tears fall. Then she starts to wipe the feet with her hair. And I'm thinking to myself, hair is horrible at drying off anything more as moisture. This is completely inefficient. Her tunic would have been better. <laughs> right? But this isn't about being practical. This is her saying, I, this isn't a personal expression of her love for Jesus. She's thinking to herself, what is the most intimate way I can express how much this man means to me? And so her hair, that's the right way to to wipe off the tears. And then she begins to kiss his feet. What what a picture of prostration before Jesus. She kisses his feet. um, And of course, she uh, gives the perfume. And so now, imagine you're the Pharisees seeing this happen. Now, we have the benefit of seeing the whole story. But imagine you're in the moment with them. What are you thinking? I mean, I'm wondering what has, um, what has gripped this woman? What has compelled her to do this extravagant act uh, toward, to Jesus? I'd be really wondering what is going on. But that's not what the Pharisees, that's not what they're interested in. They're interested in, wonder, in seeing how this invalidates Jesus. And so here's how they respond. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, Uh, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. I think this is the telltale sign of hard-heartedness. When you ignore the beautiful things happening around you and all you can focus on is how to to kind of capture someone in a mistake how to find what's wrong, how to invalidate the situation or the person. That's where their heart is at. They are hard-hearted. When they see what this woman does, which stuns all of us, um, they can't help but take it as an opportunity to criticize and invalidate Jesus. So they question if he is really a prophet because they don't. apparently they think he doesn't know who's touching them or touching him. But he will show that he not only knows what kind of person this woman is, he knows what kind of person Simon is. He hears and knows what Simon is saying in his heart to himself. God hears those thoughts and he speaks uh, right to it. Um, and so he says, I got a question for you, Simon. Say it, teacher, a certain, and he, and he, and he, he tells the parable, a certain money lender and, and, the, and the, who has the two debts, one is larger and, and he cancels one of them. And I love that he says, it's a pretty, it's the most efficient, effective story. I mean, it's like two sentences and he just makes his point. And I love Simon's response where he's cautious. I suppose the one who he canceled the larger debt, I, you know, he's ca- I, think he, I think he knows he's about to get owned. Like I think he knows he just got trapped here, but I gotta give him credit for even replying he, he did say, you know, because the, in the other examples of, of when this happens at a dinner, the, the Pharisees are silent. I mean, Jesus captures a few of them, and they just say nothing. But at least Simon owned it. And so I would just say, sometimes when we got to admit something, when, when the Holy Spirit reveals the way we've blown it, even if we begrudgingly do it, we at least should say it. Just, just own the fact. And that's happened to me many times in, in marriage and family life. And Jamie will call me out. And like I know I was wrong. And at first I'm a little frustrated. I want to make excuses. But at least you come to the point where you need to ex- accept reality. Own what happened. And that's what he does. And so Jesus says, you have judged rightly. And then he does drop the hammer pretty hard. And so blow, blow by blow he shows the gap between Simon's lack of even basic acts of affection, even moderate forms of love and her extravagant acts of love. And, then, and, and in that, he explains what's going on. The question that should have been in their minds, he reveals what is happening with this woman. And so what he reveals is that her acts of devotion, these extravagant acts of devotion are expression of her love for Jesus. Um, Madonna, I don't know why I've been getting into, listening to Madonna lately. I don't know what happened. Um, A song came on, I think it was uh, uh, the one about where she's praying to God and I was like, what is she talking about? But she has another song called Express Yourself. And I think that's really the thesis of her entire career, express yourself. And I would say that's because it's the mantra of our culture. She has gotten a a lot of distance with that concept in her career and many people have. And it's really the mantra of our culture and we sing about it, our movies are all about this. Almost all forms of popular art are trying to get humanity to this place where we are free to express ourselves. That's like the highest good we can achieve in our modern culture, right? And we as Christians may wanna criticize that, but let's listen to that first. I think there is a longing, a good longing, to see humanity free from constraints, free from the fear of the criticism of others and able to express especially our love, right? And I think even Madonna, would be in awe of this woman's um, ability to express herself in this situation, right? Um, it's pretty powerful uh, to see um, how she does that. And because I think what we're seeing here is really the freedom of her humanity. Right? That's what Madonna is singing about. That's what our culture wants to see is the freedom of humanity. And we see that, right? What do we see in this? We see she is confident and bold to bust into this party in front of all these, you know, Scrooge men, religious conservatives. She does not care. She is going to do this act for Jesus come hell or high water. She is bold and confident. But she's also, I mean, look how personal this self-expression is. The hair, the perfume, um, the tears. Uh, I even see elements of her womanhood that she feels free to express in front of these men. And she is shameless before others. She does not care what they think. That's what stands out to me. That's why I could could not do that. I don't think I could do that where I just do not care how other people look at my, my acts of expression of worship to God, but she is completely free. We see that this is a beautiful act of sacrifice. She thought about it. She knew that he was there. She grabbed the ointment. She was prepared to do this. She wanted to do this, and of course we see the emotion. This is not dry. It's not rote. It's not constrained. It's not moderated. It's not choked back. Her emotion is on full display. And what unlocks that freedom of her humanity is her love for Jesus. It unlocks it. Love makes us bold. It makes us uncaring what other people think. It makes us feel alive. It's because it's what we're designed for. I think of the movie Elf. Remember Buddy? Buddy. Remember when he goes on the date and he comes back and he goes into his father's office and his father's kind of like a Scrooge character and what does he do? He just walks in and he twirls around and he says, I'm in love. I'm in love. I don't care who knows it. (laughs) That's what we're seeing. We're seeing this freedom, almost wild, almost like untamed humanity that she is expressing. But there's something else that we see There's something else that's beautiful here. Besides the boldness and the barrier breaking and the sacrifice of the ointment and the emotion, she does it to his feet. And that stands out in the text. Feet, 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 feet. It's like eight times. Luke is drawing our attention that she did it to his feet. And do you know why that's beautiful? Because it's humble, right? The prostration before Jesus had something to behold, she is totally devoid of self-importance. So true humanity to be lovely must not be full of self-importance, right? So think about the dilemma our culture is in. The culture wants fullness of self-expression, but yet we don't want to be full of ourselves. How do you do that? No one wants someone to express themselves if they're full of themselves. Because then we're like, oh gosh, stop it, right? Right? So we want, we're, in a, we're in this catch-22. How do you give fullness of expression and yet be devoid of self-importance? And we see that here. She has replaced self-importance with worship of Jesus Christ. And so we see it's humanity in its place. It's humanity before God full of reverent worship that acknowledges God as God. The prostration of her humanity before her Lord and Savior does not restrict her humanity, it liberates it. But there's an uncomfortable truth in all this. Jesus is saying that love for God, which she has, is only unlocked if we experience forgiveness. We cannot have this kind of love until we have tasted and drunk deeply, of God's forgiveness. You have to experience that, or you'll be as hard-hearted as these Pharisees. And so what we see, what Jesus reveals, is this woman's confidence and boldness, because of her love for Jesus, is actually due to another first cause, which is her confidence in his love for her, expressed in what she knew to be his profound forgiveness. We go back to this song by Madonna, Express yourself. I'm just digging a lot out of Madonna today. But if you go back to that song, if you actually listen to the lyrics, what she's actually saying is she's telling women, express yourself so that to get your man to express himself so that you can know that your love is real, All right? So back to that same concept with the love and feeling that for love to be real, it has to be expressed. You have to give, you have to pour it out Right? So that's kind of what Madonna is singing about too. And so let me make an awkward association. I believe that is the gospel. I believe that is the gospel that God has expressed himself. I want you to think about that. The culture wants humanity to express itself. But what if God were to express himself? What, What if God were to be free to express everything that he was? What would come out? And what the gospel reveals is that when he expresses himself, he expresses it in a supreme act of forgiveness. And that is meant to make us express ourselves. God has expressed his love first so that we would express ourselves and have a real love with God. And so the power of God's love expressed in forgiveness is, is you know, why is that the way that God expresses himself. Why forgiveness? And I think it's because, and you can, you can understand this if you're in a relationship. I want you to think about how does a relationship become deep and secure? It's not just that you get along and have fun together, right? Because if that's all it is, what begins to creep into your mind is, well, what if I mess up? What if I do something that hurts this person? And so over time, if you don't experience forgiveness in the relationship, then it becomes performative. Because now you're just trying to keep the good vibes going. You're just trying to keep it happy. But once you have messed up, made mistakes, and hurt each other, but then forgiven each other, well, then you become more and more secure. And the love becomes deeper and deeper and more profound. And pretty soon, you're not afraid anymore because forgiveness, right, has become a part. That's where forgiveness is. That's where love is supremely revealed. It's not in the good times. It's in the bad times when things go bad. And so God has demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So for, so God puts forgiveness at the front end of the relationship he invites us into the relationship with the supreme act of forgiveness and i like the, the 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 imagery of the money lender right god as the money lender why does he use that that seems a little dry but notice what happens here because when humans forgive each other it's imperfect and it's, the, 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 the mistakes are, they still can haunt us, you know what I mean? They still can haunt the relationship. But when you, when we're talking money lender, I don't know if there's any accountants here or people who work a lot with money. When you cancel a debt, it is gone. It is zeroed out. It is blank on the ledger. It, there is no trace of it. And that is how God wants us to picture his forgiveness. Gone. Off the ledger, zeroed out, mathematical certainty, gone. And that's the depth, that's what he wants us to feel the complete release of that debt that we owe God. This woman felt it. She felt it. It made her alive with love for Jesus. And we have to see that. We have to see Christ forgiveness, God's forgiveness for us. And until we do, we will be cold and dry and we will scorn acts, extravagant acts of love. We will find them distasteful and we will become more and more hardened. And so we have to see it. And so the question is then, how do we see that? How do we drink deeply of God's forgiveness? And so do we see what the text is saying? It gets even more uncomfortable at this point, I think. Because he says this Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. The principle being this He who is forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. To experience the depth of God's forgiveness, we have to see the depth of our need for forgiveness. In other words, we have to see how sinful. We really are. That's the message to the hard-hearted. You don't love God because you don't understand how much you need forgiveness. Oh, you see the sins of others quite well, but you don't see your own, and so you're dead. You don't know God. You don't know His love. You are closed off to it. But if you could see how much You need forgiveness. Then you can receive what God has done for you in Christ. And so um, to drink deeply of God's forgiveness, we must see the, the depth of our need for forgiveness. And so maybe some of you are here today and you're ready to receive that message. This woman's example is meant to be a testimony for all time to put God's forgiveness for the worst of sinners on a pedestal, to put the gospel on a pedestal, to say come and drink deeply of God's forgiveness no matter what you have done. And so maybe you know that, you've come here and you know or you're listening, you're, you're listening and you know you have scorned God, you have scorned his commandments, you have made a mess of your life and the life of others. And so if that's you today, I hope you would come out of shame and into the boldness of love because of Christ's forgiveness. You see, this woman, she only had the principle of forgiveness. The declaration of it by Jesus Christ, his demonstration of it by by eating with sinners, but she did not yet know the cost of that forgiveness and see how she responded. But we know the cost. What is extravagant about her love? She took this alabaster jar and she broke it and poured out the $80,000 of perfume. But you see, Christ shows the extravagance of his love by breaking the body of his own son and pouring out his precious blood. What more do you need what more do you need to come out of your life of, of sin and into God's love and forgiveness? And he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's not just a customary dismissal like goodbye. That is, her, that is Jesus saying to her, go into God's shalom. Go live in God's love and peace from here on out. You had a life of sin, but now you've tasted forgiveness. You are saved. Now go live in light of that. But for those of us who maybe been walking with God, maybe we've experienced that moment and we've experienced that forgiveness. How do we continue to experience the power of forgiveness? How do we make sure we... We don't lose that loving feeling. Or how do we bring it on back as the song called for though I think the Holy Spirit calls for some of us. How do we keep from that happening? Well, I think it's two things. And uh, we have to first, we have to remember that sin is about the heart. It's about the heart. And I was talking with a member about this, and she made a great point. That um, you know, she, what she likes to pray is, God, search me search my heart and that prayer is reflecting a psalm a prayer of David that says search me which is not to say God would you do you see anything in me it's to say God would you show me would you show me what's in this heart and so we have to remember that if we feel it in our hearts to God it's as good as doing it and so the call of the gospel is to stop hiding from the ways that our hearts go astray. Yeah, there are sins that are obvious. Fornication and drug addiction and prostitution. Um, You know, there are things that are more on the obvious side. But my concern for a church, if maybe we know not to do those things, but what about the attitudes of our heart? What about things like pride and jealousy and greed? and unforgiveness and criti- criti- criticism, right? What about those things? Man, I need God to work on this heart of mine. And so we need to remember it's about the heart. And the next thing we need to do, if we wanna stay hot in our love for God, if we wanna drink deeply of his forgiveness, we have to be confessing our sins. And so uh, look at First uh, John. 1, 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Should you do the next slide? I hope I have it on there. I may not. Okay, I guess I don't. If we, John says this if in 1 John 8, 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you hear that? If we think we're good, We're not even walking in God's truth. We think we got it all together. We're seriously lost. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So notice what we get to experience when we confess our sins. His forgiveness. So we have to confess, which means agree with God. Right, But does this mean we need to walk around feeling guilty about sin like Christianity is some kind of constant spiritual flagellation? You're right. And that's actually if you, I I did some research on Madonna and she would always feel guilty. She always felt guilty about all the things that were wrong because of her religious upbringing. And so that would be an objection to this idea of confessing sin. Is it just, we're just supposed to feel guilty all the time. And I'm going to say no. That's not why we confess. It's not to feel bad of our, about ourselves so that we can experience God's forgiveness. So we could experience his cleansing power. And so the, way, the reason why we want to confess sin is so that we would love God. That's what this passage is saying. You, we need to be able to say, Lord, this is what's true about me. And experience his forgiveness. The, cle- the clearing of our ledger. And if we're not confessing sin then are we really believing in the gospel? Are we really, you know, we should be confessing as an act of worship. We should be bold about it so that we could understand and believe that our relationship with God is based on his forgiveness on the cross, not our performance. And so if you're not confessing, you are not believing that, you are not experiencing that. And so we should be confessing sin corporately, right? I, we need to be doing this as a church together on Sundays, right? And so I'm I'm a pastor, so I'm a good I'm in a good position to make that happen, all right. But let's not let's not be hard hearted towards that when that does happen. Let's not be like, oh, why are we? Why is it always about sin? Ugh. Like we just talk about the good stuff. That's a lie. Do you see what this woman got to experience? Do you want to experience that kind of love and freedom to to not care what other people think in your relationship with God? Then we have to be willing to understand our need for it. And we're gonna have to get into this heart of ours and see what's really going on so we can bring it to God. Not to feel guilty and beat ourselves up, but to walk in the newness and the joy and the security of his love. And only then will we be full of, of the humble freedom that God calls us to. Humble freedom of our humanity, secure in God's love, just as he intended us to be. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that this message would resound in our hearts um, to your glory. Lord, that we would accept that as wonderful as it is to be human, as beautiful it is, we are broken and marred by sin and rebellion against you. But Lord, you have expressed your love for us so that we could express our love for you, and that is in forgiveness. Everyone in here desperately needs to experience your forgiveness, needs to see what you have done on the cross, what you have poured out, the extravagant love that was given to us when your son was broken. And his blood was shed. And Lord, we need to experience that daily. We need to experience that corporately. We need to experience that privately. We need to experience that interpersonally with other believers. Would you empower us, help us to be a confessing church that doesn't look at that act of confession as something negative and horrible, but as something beautiful that you give us to repent, to to experience new life. To walk in, in that peace that you call us to, and, eat, and more importantly, to walk and to experience a love for you more and more.